Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are now on episode 82, Nick. Could you believe it? I could, yeah. It feels like so long because you just don't stop talking. That's a great point, Nick. I really don't stop talking. And you know what? The Nets don't stop playing basketball. We have three games to cover this week, and we're going to start with the 117-91 win over the Detroit Pistons. The game was won by the Nets, by the way, and that game was played on Sunday night, Nick. Honestly, out of all four of our wins, this might have been collectively the biggest team effort. I saw a lot of guys contribute who haven't contributed in the first six games, uh, including James Harden, who was basically the leader after Kevin Durant got ejected in the third quarter for some physical play after the whistle on Kelly Olynyk. But what was your main takeaway from this win against the Pistons on Sunday night? Well, listen, I think there's a lot to unpack there, right? Because we're going to go through each game over the past week. We're going to talk about KD's two incidents that he had, uh, both as a result of anger. So I'm hoping this anger isn't something that's going to continue looming over the season. We'll talk about Kyrie, his status, his tweets. I wanted to give the people a little bit of a table of contents because you kind of just dove right into the last game. But hey, I, I dive said, in. That's what I do. I like diving. So I like the diver. Uh, so... Watch the full Pistons game. It was a fun game because what did we shoot? 68% from the field. What was the fun? I know we were shooting 68 going into the fourth 65. quarter. 65.2% from the field. It was a Nets franchise record. And it was 68 before we went into the fourth. And then we kind of, you know, put everybody else in. Cam Thomas got his first couple minutes uh, of any meaning. It was just a beautiful, efficient game of basketball. Uh, let's be real. It's against the Detroit Pistons, who are going to be bottom three teams in the league this year. Uh, I like Jeremy Grant. He's got a bright future ahead of him. They've got like an aging Corey Joseph, an aging Kelly Olynyk. Besides that, really not much talent. I know you like Sadiq Bey, who's been a hit or miss this season as, as of last season as well. Could have been a uh, net Sadiq Bey. This was really just the nobody could miss game. James Harden, I know we talked our little bit of concern last week of James Harden. Um, that new foul rule, which we'll talk about a little today, too, because I watched this really informative YouTube video. Uh, the new foul rule they got rid of where James Harden can't, and same with Steph Curry and Dame Willard, just, and Trey Young, for that matter, just draw those really pump fake ticky-tacky fouls. You know, that's had an impact on James Harden's free throw, uh, uh, the volume of free, th free throws he's taken this season so far. And overall, his play has been affected by something, whether it's injury, uh, whether it's this new rule, whether it's kind of Durant taking over the team. Uh, but Harden has been very, I don't want to say quiet because he's still getting his numbers, but inefficient, shooting sub 40% before this game. So this, to me, was a huge, huge confident boost in James Harden, uh, in the organization, as fans as well, watching him come and just drain threes. He had a triple-double before the fourth quarter even began. So really enjoyed watching James Harden. LaMarcus Aldridge, he might be the most efficient mid-range shooter in the league right now. He is just not hesitating, utmost confidence, taking faders, one-leggers, little Dirk move he had uh, a couple of feet in front of the elbow against the Pistons. So this was just a beautiful game all the way around. We really couldn't miss. With that said, uh, take it with a grain of salt because the Pistons couldn't really make 
Um, even with the Nets' lackluster defense at times, the Pistons were just missing wide-open shots. We missed a couple assignments. James Harden yelled at Joe Harris at one point for not getting out at a, on a three that Corey Joseph hit. So, yes, great offensive game. Great game for James Harden. Mark Saldrus looks good. Patty Mills looks good. DeAndre Bembry had his best scoring game of the season and had some great takes. I really liked his game. I know you mentioned it last time, and I was a little skeptical on Bembry having any factor, but I was very impressed. I think he's going to earn a few more minutes. Overall, great offense, but it is the Pistons, so we can't get too excited. So I, I made a mistake. It wasn't 65.2%. It was 65.3% from the field. I want to give the Nets every decimal percentage point that they deserve. Um, you touched on everything. Does Kevin Durant have an anger management problem? He might. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. He seems to not care at all when he gets ejected. Um, he talked I mean, about He kind of laughed maniacally. And what else, the last thing I'll say about Durant is in that play – not only was the, listen, the elbow was unnecessary. He threw an elbow up in Olenek's face. Basically, Olenek was setting a screen uh, so that Bay could come around off ball, catch it, shoot a three. Bay caught it, shot the three. Olenek was blocking Durant uh, with the screen. Durant tried to get through him to Bay, elbowed him kind of in the neck head area. Barely, obviously, Olenek sold it well. But to me, that wasn't the problem. Olenek kind of fell back a little, and then Durant just pushed him, just literally pushed him to the ground. So that was why he got the flagrant two, the combination of the high elbow, and then just seeing like the disregard throwing Olenek to the ground, which was so unnecessary. So I did kind of understand. In Kevin Durant's defense, I'm sure like 98% of the league probably wants to push Kelly Olenek down anyway. They're just not allowed to do it. Uh, but kudos to KD. He made a joke after the game that he ignited that spark. Cause I think after he got ejected, the nets went on like an 11 0 or 11 one run or something like that. Um, I'm not going to touch on everything you touched on. Cause you did such a great job. James Harden, triple double, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, six of nine from the field, four of seven from three. Um, if anything has been working for Harden in these last few games, his step back three has been on. He does not miss when he when he takes that three and he's also been taking advantage of every mismatch when he has Olenek on him when he had Stewart on him he was taking advantage of those mismatches beautifully Blake Griffin eight points in 20 minutes he, he hit one three in this game he's one of two from three five rebounds thought I'd get a bigger performance out of him this was his former team uh, he usually likes to show up against these guys he showed up last year um, you brought up DeAndre Bembry 15 points off the bench seven rebounds I'm someone who loved the Bembry signing. I watched him play in college. Not a lot of people were high on him. People were more high on uh, Dumboya, who, who we ended up releasing, and people were upset that we kept Bembry, but we cut Dumboya. And, you know, he, he's a good player. He's kind of like a Bruce Brown who has a little bit better handle. Maybe he's not as intelligent as Bruce Brown because I think Brown's basketball IQ is extremely high, but he's a slasher. He can get to the rim, and he's got some – some nice moves off the dribble. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, he might be right now through seven games, the sixth man of the league. One might argue he's been phenomenal for the Nets. Um, you go down the list. Everybody was in the plus category except Dayron Sharp and Cam Thomas, who played in garbage time. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned his name, Javon Carter. Eight points, three of five from the field, two of four from three. It was nice to see him get some buckets. His play has been extremely disappointing these first few games, so it was nice to see him go off a little bit. Um, Joe Harris had 12 on five of nine from shooting two of four from three point range. Um, it was just nice to see a lot of guys for the Nets hit threes in this game. That was a big takeaway for me. Uh, Kevin 52, Durant, 52% from three as a team, 13 of 25 and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different players hit a three pointer for the Brooklyn Nets. Love to see that. Like you said, it was a nice win against the Pistons. We're at home. This was our fifth game 
fifth straight home game in Barclays. So nice win. All right, let's move on to the game last Wednesday against the Heat. Um, 106-93 Miami Heat win over the Brooklyn Nets. This was probably the low point of, of the season early on. Tough, tough loss to a Heat team that I don't think played relatively well. I mean, they shot 39.6% from the field, 28% from three. The only guy who scored over 20 points was Bam Adebayo. He had 24 points and nine rebounds. But this was just a matter of the Nets not really taking care of the ball, 15 turnovers, and they absolutely got destroyed on the offensive glass, Nick. The Heat had 17 offensive rebounds. The Nets had four. That was the difference in the game. You add in the turnovers. Which is funny because the Heat aren't on paper a big team. They're an athletic athletic team, but Bam Adebayo's their big, and he's a beast, but he's not – He's kind of the only big body banging down low, but I guess when you have guys like Butler crashing the board, when you have guys like who's coming off, we got PJ Tucker. He's always crashing the board. 14 rebounds for Butler, seven for Tucker, nine for Bam. Lowry even at six. Hero had eight. Deadman had nine. It's just a freaking. Oh, Deadman! Deadman killed us. Deadman was like our Achilles heel. Dwayne Deadman was hitting jumpers. You're thinking when Bam goes to the bench, we get a break. And Deadman was like, "No, f that! You guys aren't getting anything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy you." Um, it was, it was a tough game, man. And the Nets were in it for the most part. Then Miami just blew us out in the third quarter, thirty-two to twenty-three, and then they won the fourth as well. I mean, here's what I'll say: we, yeah. we led by two at halftime. It was an ugly game, right? Both teams were shooting sub forty from the field, and a lot of talent on the court, right? The Heat acquired Lowry. Duncan signed that huge contract. They still have Butler, and we had all our guys, obviously, Sans Kyrie. But here's what I'll say about this Heat game. Oh, is this the game actually that Aldridge did not play? So no, Aldridge, Aldridge played. Aldridge had six points in twelve minutes. Um, oh, he, he just he just couldn't get it going. I don't think he played against the Pacers. God, okay, no, maybe right. it was Sorry, the Wizards. Just, I just didn't see Aldridge's name. Uh, yeah, maybe, I think it was the Wizards. I didn't see Aldridge's name. Until it might have been the Wizards because he, he got the 20,000 points against the Pacers, I believe. Okay, here's here's what yeah. I'll say about this Heat game. Okay. We were leading two at halftime, outscored by nine in the third, outscored by six in the fourth. This was a game, you say nobody on the Heat scored over 20 uh, except for Bam. Nobody on the Nets scored over 20 except for Durant. And the next leading scorer was Joe Harris with 15, who was not shooting at a high field goal percentage. Right. James Harden with 14, 7, and 7. This was at a point where Harden still couldn't find his group. And here's what I saw in the fourth quarter. Really, we were in the game. It was fine. No one was hitting shots on other team. Durant put too much pressure on himself to take over and started making really careless passes. You know, I turned on the game uh, – uh, I think I left. The, I think I left for a couple minutes in the fourth quarter. Came back. We had all of a sudden been down eight or nine, and Durant just had two really bad turnovers in a row. So ugly game. Low shooting percentage on both sides. But in the fourth quarter, when it mattered most, they shot marginally better than we did. Duncan Robinson and Joe Harris, obviously the two, arguably the top two best three point shooters over the last two to three years in the league. You know, for talking three point specialists, Duncan won the battle here with the Heat. Duncan only had six points, but they won. No, I, I, look, we watched it. I don't think this was about who scored more points. Duncan was great on defense. He had a block on Bruce Brown. It was the little things that they did. They got Hero going at some points, 14 points for Tyler Hero off the bench. You said they, Kevin Durant put too much on himself in that fourth quarter. Five turnovers for him, four turnovers for James Harden. That's just way too many turnovers between those two players. And then outside of Durant, nobody could really get it going in this game. Like, like you said, Harris was inefficient. 
Bruce Brown was five of eight from the field, but everybody else, I mean, Millsap, seven points in 15 minutes, Aldridge, six points in 12 minutes. Patty Mills was one of nine from the field. And before this game, he had been pretty reliable. He had been that first guy off the bench who can give you a scoring push. Um, Javon Carter gave you nothing in this game. Bembry gave you close to nothing. And that was really it. Blake Griffin gave you six points in 19 minutes. The problem with me is, like you said, the Heat aren't that big of a team, but the Nets just totally could not rebound the ball in this game. It was pathetic. And and, all, but Aldridge only played 12 minutes, so that had to have something to do with it. Sure, but but Blake only had four rebounds in 19 minutes. I mean, they, they totaled, I think, 38 defensive rebounds to Miami's 45. But like I said, 17 offensive rebounds for Miami. That was the game. We also had 15 turnovers to their 14. Um, I'll say this, and then we can move on, because I don't think there's a, a ton in this game. Morris did nothing for them off the bench in 14 minutes. He had two points. Um, like you said, Deadman, 14 points on six of nine from, from the field. He was really our Achilles heel all night. We're not going to out-tough teams. Miami is just a tougher team than Brooklyn in regards to physicality. P.J. Tucker, 15 points for him. He did a pretty good job on Durant for, for the he most part. He had a part. big three in the fourth quarter, too, and he, he let us know about he, it. He did. Yeah, no. And, and Butler, I mean, you know what you're going to get from Butler. 17 points for him, 14 rebounds. So my point is Miami's a physical team. Bam, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, Kyle Lowry now is much more aggressive than, than Gordon, Gordon Dragic was. If the Nets aren't on offensively, and they really weren't, like 39% from the field, 33% from three, you're not going to beat a, a physical Heat team in a battle of who's tougher because they're tougher. You got to be able to offensively dominate, and we just couldn't. Nobody got in a rhythm outside of Kevin Durant, and, and that was that was pretty much the story for this game. Well, first of all, don't insult Goran Dragic, hashtag lefty tribe. He's a beast. Second of all, are you in this, you know, you bring up a good point. It was actually a, he's a lefty. He's always a, he's Yeah, I just never heard team. hashtag lefty tribe. I think you made that up. No, I'm a lefty. We say that, me and my lefty Oh, that's what you got. Yeah, I'm going to um, search that on Twitter. You know, you bring up a good point, which is actually what I was going to ask you, so you had a good segue into it, was if we are not shooting well from three, are we going to lose a, a majority of those games? If no, we are shooting no, sub no. 40% from three, are we more likely to lose games than not? I don't think so. I think it's just a matter of you need multiple guys to get in a rhythm in order to beat teams like this. Kevin Durant couldn't be the only guy who was scoring. You needed Aldridge to get 20 in this game. You needed Mills to not go one of nine from the field. You needed Harden to not go four of 12 from the field. Like these are really abysmal shooting numbers. You can't have Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry from a, from a scoring perspective being the second most efficient players on the team after Durant. That's just, not I get that. Good. But the guys you're saying, right? Like, let's, let's think about our top scorers. Aldridge let's doesn't not... have to score threes. Aldridge no, Aldridge doesn't. Really doesn't. After all, I was going to say without Aldridge, it's Durant, Harden, Harris, and Mills. And minus Durant, I think the other three shoot more threes than twos. Right. Harden, Harris, and Mills. Definitely Mills and Harris. I'd be interested in to see the stat of Harden this year's three-point shots versus two-point shots. Durant definitely takes more twos, but he still takes a decent amount of threes too. So listen, yeah. again, you're right. We could be efficient from within the uh, from within the perimeter. Aldridge has proven that time and time again. Durant has an amazing mid-range. Harden has been getting to the rack more over the last few games. Um, you know, bring guys on like Javon Carter and Bruce Brown who are more aggressive. Javon takes too many threes, but they're both, both aggressive to the rim. I'm a little concerned that if we are not hitting our threes in a lot of the games, we're in trouble. And okay. I say that not because we need to be a three-point shooting team, but because I know the guys on our team 
like taking threes. We are going to put up a high volume of threes every single game. I don't trust this Nets team right now to say, hey, we're not shooting the ball well from three. Let's start to drive and kick more because that's what they should have done against the Heat, right? Hey, guys, we're not shooting well from three. Let's try to pound the paint. Let's put Aldridge in for more minutes. Let's maybe put Claxton in there if he's healthy and have him try to bang down low with a couple bodies, give him some more confidence. What I saw was, hey, guys, we're not shooting well from three, but we're going down more and more deficit-wise, score-wise. Let's shoot more threes to try to cut that deficit. And that's what worried me. The game plan did not change. Now, I don't know if that's on the players. I don't know if that's Steve Nash saying, hey, keep shooting. You're Kevin Durant and James Harden. Sometimes it falls, sometimes it doesn't. But I would have liked to see something change schematically in that fourth quarter once our shots weren't going in. I think that's fair. I think that the three-point shot is huge for the Nets. I'm not saying it's not. I just don't think they necessarily need to be on to win games. Now, I will. I will. I have three more takeaways, and then we can move on. They'll be quick. Number one, Nets killer Kyle Lowry did not kill us in this game. He only had uh, nine points. He had nine assists, but not a great game for him. Three of eight from the field, one of five from three. So we did a pretty good job on Kyle Lowry. Um, number two. The Heat are a very, very good basketball team. Like, I don't want to take anything away from them. We should have made this a game, but they're going to definitely be in that top four, I think, seeds come playoff time. Like, they're a very tough basketball team. They have scores off the bench. They have guys who they start who are all-stars in Adebayo and Butler. Um, you know, they picked up one of the Morris twins. Which is it, Marcus or Markeith? Markeith. So Markeith comes off the bench in Hero. Okay. The worst, but no, the worst, I, I just I just want to say that the, the Heat are a very good basketball team. So our losses this year outside of Charlotte, who I don't think is very good, have been to Milwaukee and Miami, two teams that are probably going to be in the playoffs. Now, if the Nets want to win a championship, we're going to have to beat these teams. But I don't want to get too down in the dumps losing in the beginning of the season to a tough Miami Heat team who's essentially bringing a ton of guys back and just adding P.J. Tucker, Kyle Lowry, and Markeith Morris. The third takeaway is we didn't have one of our best bang guys. As Nick illustrates, a bang guy is someone who gets on the glass and just gives you rebounds and bangs with other guys. We didn't have one of our best bang guys in Nick Claxton in this game. He's out for a few games. He has some type of illness. It's not COVID. It might be the flu. It might be what I had a few weeks ago. He's a bad guy if I've ever seen one. Which is probably the flu or something. So I don't want to kill the Nets too much for not cleaning up the glass because it was just Durant, Griffin, Aldridge, and Millsap. But having said that, 17 offensive rebounds, letting that up is inexcusable, and you need to cut down on the turnovers. All right, we move on to the Friday night game. It was against the Pistons. Um, another pretty good all-around game. against the Indiana Pacers. I'm sorry, the Indiana Pacers. I was thinking of the other team that we had beat, and then it was also involved in the Malice in the Palace. Um, you're right. It was against the Indiana Pacers. The Nets won this game 105-98. to um, Got off to a very, very bad start. We allowed 38 points from Indiana in that first quarter. Um, Duarte, was it Chris Duarte? He's a player. He's someone who I think is going to be a really, really good point guard, scoring point guard in this league. Um, 19 points for him. He killed us in that first quarter. Torrey Craig. I don't understand how the Nets make these guys look so good. But Torrey Craig had 28 points on 9 of 16 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, and 11 rebounds. Torrey Craig is not a 28-point scorer. So I don't know what the Nets do, but we always make these guys who average like 10 or 12 points look like superstars. Uh, Sabonis had 16, 7, and 6, and Miles Turner had 9. 
Uh, Jeremy Lamb had 12 off the bench for the Pacers. Now, after the first quarter, this is pretty much Brooklyn all the way. Uh, James Harden, right before this game, he after that Miami loss, he said, you know, I'm not scoring 30 or 40 right now. It's going to be a while until I get to that point. He had 29 points in this game. He got to the line, Nick, 19 times. So something happened in between these few games. You know, after that first quarter, I, I know him and Nash were jawing at the refs because he didn't get a call. I think it was Duarte who fouled him twice on the same drive. Do you remember that sequence? And They're Harden, really trying, and I, and I yeah. saw this in the Pistons game too, and the Pacers game was an exception because he shot so many free throws. They are trying to overcorrect this this foul rule so much that Harden will get slapped on both wrists by two players that he's cutting in between and they won't call a foul. The same thing happened twice in the Pistons game where they're saying, oh, we don't want to give Harden and these types of players all these calls anymore. So sometimes they really miss obvious fouls. And I understand them trying to play it a little safe, them trying to be cautious, just dishing out foul calls to these players because of this new rule change. But still, there are obvious fouls being missed. And I've seen that a lot, especially with James Harden on this next team. So it's funny because Harden's final stat line, 29 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, four turnovers. Doesn't look bad. He was a plus 17, but he got 16 of his points at the free throw line. So he only shot five of 11 from the field, three of six from three. But overall, the fact that he got to the line 19 times and in his previous five games before this, he had only gotten to the line 15 times total. That was huge. I think you're seeing, like you said, the refs overcorrecting. Uh, a, a lot of the calls that they weren't giving Harden for the first few games are starting to give him some of those calls. Now, I think what Harden has going against him is obviously his prior history, but also the fact that he throws his arms up on a lot of these plays. And I think the refs kind of have it in their head when they see him embellish anything, they don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's going to them and he's like, guys, I'm getting hacked. Maybe I'm throwing my arms up. That's just how I play. You guys got to give me those calls. Nash has illustrated that. I think the refs are starting to get it. Um, nine, I don't know how many free throws he shot in that Pistons game. He shot a good amount, but 19 in this game, 29 points for him, 22 points for Kevin Durant, 11 rebounds, uh, seven of 10 from the field, seven of eight from the free throw line, a really efficient game for KD, but the star of this game outside of James Harden, it was LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick, 21 points off the bench, 10 of 16 from the field, eight rebounds. And he joins the 20,000 point scorers club. Uh, really cool moment after the game. They asked James Harden, I forgot who asked the question, but they go, what do you think about LaMarcus Aldridge joining the, the club with you and KD? And Harden had a like a moment where he just goes, what club? Like he thought they were actually talking about a club, like a physical club where you go and you dance and you party. And then he goes, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he realized what they had asked. Um, very cool moment for LaMarcus Aldridge. Like you called him, he's the mid-range assassin. He couldn't miss in this one. Uh, that was really all the Nets needed. Outside of those three guys, nobody scored more than 10 points, Nick. Listen, uh, this this game, again, let's take it with a grain of salt. The Pacers are now 1-6. and six. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to no, be a bottom-tier East team. No Malcolm Brogdon in this game. No Karis LeVert in this game. They have a long way to go. Pacers have a lot of young talent, like you said. But, again, they shouldn't be concerned, right? They're not as bad as the Pistons, but we should handily beat, handedly beat them most games. We had a really slow start in the first quarter. We're down 12 outscored the Pacers by 19 in the last three quarters. It was a seven-point victory, 105-98. It felt like a 15-point victory. Didn't seem like it was really out of doubt. Um, here's what I'll say about this game. This was the, at the end of this game, this was the first thought I had. The big three. The new big three is James Harden, Kevin Durant, and LaMarcus Aldridge. Right now, listen, I'm not saying I prefer it. 
I'm not saying Irving's not going to come back. I know it's a touchy subject for all Nets fans, all listeners. We don't like saying the name Kyrie Irving right now. It's like looking in the mirror and saying Bloody Mary three times. You don't know if he's going to show up or not play for the rest of the season. But LaMarcus Aldridge is shooting 68% from the field this season thus far, averaging 13 points a game. Okay, This isn't a Dwight Howard or or JaVale McGee situation where he's shooting 90% from the field because he's only scoring three points a game, dunking the ball and going to the free throw line. Okay, He's averaging 13 points a game. He is a major contributor to this team, and he is shooting 68% from the field. Again, in this Pacers game especially, there were three guys, like you said, in double digits. All of them happened to have over 20. That's Durant, obviously, Harden, obviously, and LaMarcus Aldridge, who has now become the third best best player on this team, the third most important player on this team, who is currently playing. So that raises the question, if Kyrie does not come back, is LaMarcus Aldridge filling that third spot, that, that third star spot, enough to carry this Nets team to where they need to be as a championship contender. Before I answer your question, you asked me before this game, can the Nets win if they're not killing it from three-point range? They shot six of 26 from three for 23%. This was a matter of Yes, but it's also just, the Pacers. It's the Pacers. Right. So you're, yeah, I'm just saying this is an example of them not shooting the ball well from three and, and coming away with a W. You're absolutely right. I'm not sure they can do this against Miami or Milwaukee or Philadelphia or a really good team. Um, to answer your question, I love LaMarcus Aldridge. I said he was the most important acquisition for the Nets because if the Nets have one flaw about their roster, it's the fact that they don't have a ton of front court depth. I mean, they they drafted De'Aaron Sharp. He's extremely raw. You still don't know what Nick Claxton is, and he hasn't really played a ton this year. Um, Kevin Durant's not really a power forward, although he plays the four. And then Blake Griffin isn't a true center. I don't like, like, I know Nash has him as the stretch five, but if he is not hitting that three and, and Blake has been extremely disappointing in the beginning of this year, um, he is not efficient. I mean, he's not a great rebounder anymore. He's not a great scorer. He has to be able to hit that three to stay on the floor. So I love the signing of Aldridge and I understand your case for him to be the, the third star in the big three, but I'll say a few things. Aldridge is ancient. He was close to retiring last year because of his heart condition. There is no way the Nets can rely on him night in and night out to be that third guy. I think that what the Nets are banking on is the fact that they have guys like Patty Mills who can go off and and score in uh, bunches. Joe Harris is supposed to be one of those guys that can get you 20 to 25 on any given night. I think it's going to be third star by committee. You know, Blake Griffin is supposed to be part of that ensemble. It's Blake, it's Joe Harris, it's Bruce Brown, LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, Paul Millsap. You know what? Remove Bruce Brown, because I don't ever expect Bruce Brown to score more than 10 to 12 points. So I mentioned four guys that can be that third star by committee, because you know Aldridge can go off for 20. You know Millsap, Joe Harris, and Blake Griffin can all get 20. But the question is, what nights will they? and, And what nights will you need them to? So in the games where Aldridge has has scored 20-plus, the Nets have absolutely needed him to do so because, you know, with Harden struggling a little bit, Durant's averaging 25 a game, you need a third guy to pick up the slack. Patty Mills has been inconsistent. A lot of people thought he'd be a six-man candidate, but through seven games, he has proven that he can be a little bit streaky on this Nets team. Um, As much as I love Bembry's performance against the Pistons, he's not giving you third-star numbers ever. Javon Carter is only playing because Kyrie Irving is not. So I look at this roster and I say, they don't have a third star. 
but they will need a third guy to step up every single game. And like I said, I think it's going to be third star by committee. I like that response. Uh, I think you downplayed Aldridge a little bit. I think, yes, he's coming back from his condition, but he's looking, is he in his prime? Absolutely not. He's 36 years old, but he's still a top tier power forward, a kind of a smaller center occasionally in the lineup, but a, a good two, two big guy combo with Durant, who's obviously not a bang guy, but I think Aldridge is a huge, huge missing piece of this puzzle. I know you said he was your favorite acquisition, but I still think you didn't give enough credit there and enough uh, potential to even get better, right? Listen, are you going to shoot better than 68% from the field? Probably not. But he's going to get more comfortable with his rotation. Is he going to give other guys confidence? He's going to become a veteran leader on this team. You know, I think there's a lot of potential for this team to grow together. If he has a couple, are you waving to me? Oh, I was raising my hand for when you're done speaking. And I like the committee comment because you're right. There's a couple young guys in this team and some veterans like Patty Mills who can step up and we will need them to step up. So I guess I kind of bounce back and forth there, but I, I do think Aldridge fills that role better than most would. And I think he makes up makes us a playoff team. Now the question is a championship team. I'm not sure. Do you think that he should start over Nick Claxton and Blake Griffin? Absolutely, but I wouldn't change it yet because he seems to be bringing them a spark off the bench. Once okay. his numbers start to mellow out a little bit, right, 68% from the field is ridiculous. I'm guessing he'll land this season around 52-53 when it's all said and done comparatively to what he did in the Spurs the last couple of years. With that said, I wouldn't change something right now for him because he's obviously feeling himself. Give it, you know, six to eight games. He comes down a little bit just because of the natural flow of things, and he gets inserted into that lineup. Um, before we move on from the Pacers game, I just want to point out uh, Kevin Durant's technical. This was a really weird sequence of events, okay? Kevin Durant, it was the third quarter. We were up four. Durant had missed a few shots. He wasn't getting as many calls in the third quarter as he wanted. He was clearly frustrated. He drove down the court with the ball. TJ McConnell just fouled him to stop his momentum. And he literally hucked the ball like a baseball, eight feet left of the backboard, straight into the stance. Now, my roommate turned to me and said, do you think he was aiming for the backboard? I said, he was aiming for the backboard. He has the worst accuracy in the league, and he's probably the best sharpshooter in the league. So, no, he was not aiming for the backboard. He frustratingly hucked this ball out of bounds, okay? He was fined $25,000, and Sean Wright, one of the officials after the game, was quoted saying, in real time, the official that made the call did not think the ball entered the stands with force. After seeing the video post-game, we did see that the ball did go into the stands with force, and Kevin Durant should have been ejected. He should have been ejected without a doubt. Had he been ejected, could the Nets have held on to this game? I don't know. They were only up four. Durant wasn't playing as well as he obviously liked. Him out. We weren't shooting as efficient from the field as we did against the Pistons in the last game. So I don't know. They could have lost the game, but that's not the point here. That's the second incident that we just mentioned on this podcast over the last week. The first one being Durant throwing an elbow in Olympic space and then pushing him down. That was when he got ejected. So maybe they're throwing the ball without getting ejected somehow. Contributed to him definitely getting I, I thought it was game. a makeup call, maybe. I thought yeah. the refs saw that and they were like, we didn't eject him last game. We have to eject him this game. Exactly. So this brings up an interesting point to me. Why is Durant so frustrated, right? And it could be a couple different things. The Nets are four and three. They're three and one in their last four games. They're on a good slide from starting off two and three. They're four and three right now. Uh, they're, what are they sitting in the eighth spot? Listen, playoffs aren't a worry right now. Is he frustrated that the team isn't performing as well as they should be? Is he frustrated Kyrie Irving's not back and they're not at full speed? Or is he just getting kind of like a little KD cocky 
People now call me the best player in the league. I'm shooting an unbelievable uh, field goal percentage. I'm the man right now. I'm hot. Everybody's talking about me. I'm kind of going to do my thing and not give a shit what the what the consequences are. Now, I don't know the answer. It could be a combination. It could be two anomalies of him just getting really frustrated. I didn't love him laughing after getting ejected when he elbowed Olenek. I didn't like that he didn't try to help Olenek up or see if he was cool. It raises a little bit of a concern to me. I don't like Durant's attitude in some games. I just felt uh, both of them were unnecessary, especially the push on Olenek. Hope that he's able to kind of find his nerve. I hope he's able to be a little more respectful. And I don't want this to be a thing in the season where he kind of becomes a Westbrook who gets so frustrated with the team, with his play, with his role in this team, that he takes it out on the officials and on other players. Look, I understand why you're saying this. I think it's extremely early. I think the Nets are still figuring themselves out. And I think Kevin Durant is still trying to figure himself out in regards to what he needs to do to make this team great. Um, Not only great, but a championship contender. So I think part of his frustration, part of his frustration is the fact that, you know, the Nets aren't seven and zero, and they're not steamrolling these teams and they're not getting all the calls that they wish they could. So I think it's tenfold. I think that Kevin Durant has an anger management problem. No, I don't. I was joking earlier in the episode when I said maybe he does. But I, I do think that because things haven't gone the way that I think Nets fans and the players would have hoped so early on, I think that's led to some of his frustration and the fact that he's having to carry the team on his back most nights. I mean, recently he's had a little bit more help from James Harden. But I don't think this is something that we should be overly concerned about throughout the season. Kevin Durant is not a hothead. Does he get aggravated sometimes? Does he get frustrated? Sure. But I don't think that this is going to be something we have to worry about come playoff time towards the end of the season. I, I just, I just don't think that he's going to jeopardize the nets like he has in the past two games. No. And again, I, I'm just pointing out something that should be addressed, but I'm not overreacting either. So uh, right. I, I think it's a good point. It's something to keep watch of as is a lot of things with this nets organization, as are a lot of things in the NBA. So We'll keep a mindful eye. We'll keep a watchful eye. And that's really all I have. But listen, this was a good week. This is a good bounce back week for us. Now, I know what you want to get into after these past couple of games, and it's Kyrie Irving's cryptic tweet. Sorry. Oh, no, it's an Instagram. Instagram yeah. So uh, Kyrie has been, you know, active on social media for Kyrie. Before I get into this segment, I just want to do another segment called Please Come Back, Kyrie. Please come back, Kyrie. We miss you. We will be extremely nice to you if you come back. Obviously, some things have to happen for you to come back. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to say we would really like to see you back on the basketball court. Okay, that was the end of Please Come Back, Kyrie. We move on to this cryptic Instagram post. It is a picture of Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus in the Matrix with no caption. It's just Morpheus with his glasses in his trench coat with his arms crossed. Um, This is obviously a reference to computer simulation and we're all you're living gonna, in you're simulation. You're going to take so long to explain this. Yeah. It's free, okay. freeing your mind. It's there all about go. freeing your mind. So he's posting saying, obviously some message that has to do with the vaccine, that has to do with government control, red pill versus right. blue pill. Do you, which pill are you going to take to free your mind? The red which pill is going to wake up your reality. So Kyrie, again, a voice for the voiceless. I say that sarcastically because he tweets crypt and Instagram posts cryptic messages without any sort of if you're going to stand up for what you believe in, that's fine. But back it. 
by talking about it specifically and, and making an argument, an educated argument for what you're saying. All of these cryptic things are just clickbait. You're just getting people listen. Okay, of course you have the followers on Instagram who are like, yeah, preach, free your mind, bro. Like red pill all the way. What does that mean, Kyrie? What are you insinuating? Are you insinuating that the government's controlling us? Are you insinuating that the Nets need to free their mind, that New York City needs to free its mind and not require vaccinations? Tell the people what you want and you might get closer to getting it, okay? When when someone runs for president, they don't post a picture of ice cream. I'm actually speaking of a uh, student council sixth grade president. He doesn't post a picture of ice cream. He says, if you elect me, I will get free ice cream for the entire sixth grade class. He is specific, okay? He is blunt with his wants and what he is offering. So my only issue with the Kyrie post, and we don't get political here, is stop being cryptic and just be obvious and just be straightforward. We already have a, a, a pretty decent idea of your beliefs and what you stand for, and that's fine. But what are you trying to do at this point? And that's my question. Is it just fun? Is it just entertainment? Are you trying to spark controversy? Go so, out there and stand up for what you believe in or don't. So I have two things to say on this. One, I think it is kind of cool that he has his audience guess on the message that he's trying to send. I think that, you know, the real ones will figure it out like myself and the fake ones, you just have to question and complain and whine about everything he posts. That's number one. Number two, he might just be pissed off that the new Matrix movie didn't recast Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. I really hope that's the reason because I was upset about that too. Yeah, so that's all I'm going to say on that. I just, you know, it, Kyrie, whenever he posts anything on social media, I have to bring it up because he's still a member of the Brooklyn Nets. He's still a part of this team. And as I mentioned in the segment before this, please come back, Kyrie Irvin. We really want to see him back on the basketball court because we know his potential and what he's capable of doing when it comes to basketball, not to overlook what he's capable of doing off the court. I just know that when he gets on that court, he is a gosh darn wizard. Okay, we're going to move on. A uh, few more segments before we close out. This first one, Nick, did you see the City Edition uniforms and the City Edition court for the Brooklyn Nets? I saw the uniforms, not the court, but did you watch that hype video that I sent you of like, Brooklyn, uh, like New Jersey Nets to Brooklyn Nets. And it was like the last, like literally back to Julius Irving, ABA days yeah. montage of him playing all the way to Durant playing today in 2021 and showing that the Nets are now rocking these vintage New Jersey Nets, red, white, and blue jerseys, which look incredible. Yeah. The, the court also looks really cool. I'm trying to send it to you. Um, I can't cause it's not allowing me to post in the chat, whatever. But I mean, listen, we're going to, we love this, right? More than a lot of you fans out there who have, who might not have had as much of affiliation with the New Jersey Nets as the Brooklyn Nets. The New Jersey Nets, obviously, entirely different color scheme. Those are my favorite jerseys of all time, the red, white, and blue ones. Just a lot more uh, uh, colorful, popped more. I love the Brooklyn Nets. I love the Brooklyn Nets team and their jerseys as well. The Bed-Stuy jerseys are super cool, but really nostalgic, happy feeling as soon as I see these kind of throwback jerseys. Yeah, and, and we don't discriminate against fans here. If you started rooting for the Nets when they moved to Brooklyn because you lived in Brooklyn or you liked the city or you just decided, hey, I'm going to start rooting for the Brooklyn Nets, we respect the hell out of you. And we know that a lot of diehard fans, 
didn't necessarily root for the Nets when they were in Jersey. That doesn't make you any less of a fan if you started rooting for them when they were in Brooklyn. But Nick and I have been following them since the early 2000s. We used to go to the games at Continental Arena. Uh, we were there for the kid years, the Kmart years, all that. And we were young when that happened. So we consider ourselves lifelong Nets fans. And it is nice to see Brooklyn, to see this new city that the Nets call home, embrace their past, embrace their history. I think a lot of fans were critical of the Nets um, you know, around 2011 to 2016, because they didn't do any of that. And there wasn't any sort of homage to the New Jersey Nets or, or any sort of recognition of those teams that came before them. And I think kudos to Joe Sy, kudos to Sean Marks, Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, James Harden. It, it, you go down the list. Um, I'm sure Kyrie Irvin was involved in, in what they're doing, but you just love to see the Brooklyn Nets paying homage to not only the history in New Jersey, Nick, but if you watch that video, it shows where they started in Long Island. And do you know where the Nets first started playing when they, they became a, an organization way back in the day? No, where? The Teaneck Armory. Oh, I think I do in, know that. We used to play Teaneck, New Jersey. there when we were younger. Yeah, so this, this is a, a franchise, while they haven't had a ton of success on the court, they haven't won any championships since they've joined the NBA, they do have a really cool history. And if you don't know about it, you should definitely look into it. All right, moving on, Nick. We have our Hawks next game this Wednesday. We should be attending you and I. We have some tickets. November 3rd. It should be a great time. We'll be able to see these awesome city edition uniforms. How excited are you to go to a game with your big brother? You know, it's about damn time uh, that you actually invited me to a game, but I'm very excited. I actually love the Hawks. They're a fun team to watch. They're a young up and coming team. They had an amazing playoff run last year. Uh, and Trey Young is just kind of the man. He's smooth. He's buttery. He's silky. So I'm excited to see this game. I think it'll be a good game. I think the Hawks have a lot more bang guys than we do. So I'm a little worried about losing the paint early on. But I do think overall we have a more uh, a talented offensive team, a lot more shooters, consistent shooters, veterans. So it'll be a good one. Um, I, I don't think it's a gimme at all for the Nets, even though they're playing at Barclays, I think the Hawks will put up a great fight and they can kind of go either way. If I had to make a prediction, I'm going to say Nets by three. Yeah, I'm not making a prediction because I'm going to choose the Nets every time. They're going to win some, they're going to lose some. So I'm not going to predict this game. Um, I will say two things. One, I totally forgot in that Miami Heat game, the best play of the game for Brooklyn was when Blake Griffin dunked it on Kyle Lowry. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was awesome. That was an awesome alley-oop, I think, from Harden to Blake Griffin. Um, moving on to this Hawks-Nets game. I don't want to see John Collins dunk on anybody on our team. He has been awesome to start this year. The Hawks gave him a big contract and he's already posterized one or two people. I really don't want uh, anybody on the nets to get a face full of John Collins's crotch in this game. Okay. Better in their prime. John Collins, Jason Collins, definitely John Collins. Although I did like Jason Collins. Cool. 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 All right. Yeah. That pretty much does it for this week's episode. The final thing I'll say, Nick, is my men's league team has our playoff game tonight. We are a team to forget. That's the, the name of our team. We're the second seed. I don't forget who we're playing, but the number one seed is curry up and shoot. And we lost to them by like 20 or 30 last week. If we win our first game, we then go to the championship. It's also tonight. And we'd most likely play curry up and shoot. We have a fourth player who actually many people who are familiar with Nets Twitter may know, and I will not unleash 
the identity of that player until after we play the games tonight, because I want to tell you guys on the show next week who it was and what the result was of our men's leagues playoff. Hey, good luck. Uh, for those of you who are listening, it's a four on four league. That's why he said their fourth player and not their fifth player. Right. Uh, good luck, man. Uh, I don't be afraid to shoot the three because your three has been on lately. And I know sometimes it takes you a little bit to find that stroke, but start shooting right away. I would even advise you if I was your coach, take that first three pointer of the game chill goes in goes out you warm up right away you feel more confident a little more loosey-goosey and keep shooting because you'll you'll find it i know nets fans don't want to hear this but my game resembles joe harris's a little bit and not joe harris's from previous years joe harris from this year so i'm a little bit streaky when it comes to shooting i do have a nice three-point shot nick was lucky enough to play with us a few weeks back we absolutely dominated whatever team we played um i don't think they made the playoffs but um yeah just super stoked and like I said, it's sort of a teaser. I will let you guys know what Nets personality. It is a Nets Twitter personality. That is the hint. It's not like a former Nets player or someone who's actually played in the NBA is going to play on our team. This is just someone who... It's Richard Jefferson. <laughs> if, if you're on Nets Twitter, you'll know who this person is. They're a big deal. And we're just excited for them to, to play with us, especially um, in these playoff games. All right, Nick, that does it for this week's episode of Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I was telling you before the episode, I have a great closing. Do you mind if I do it this week? You do you, man. All right, here it goes. You'll always catch me on the fireside. That was slightly different than every other closing we've been doing for 80 episodes. I was really expecting something more. I'm sorry. Good night, everybody. I thought it was going to be something like The weekend. It's like, you think of me on the fire. You know what I mean? Like, get like a little creative with it. I'd like to end this now. Goodbye. All right. Best of luck.